Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number 23. Today's special guest, Prescott Lox Lawani. This episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by our community patrons. Everyone gets it for free, and it's all thanks to the generosity of the people who donate to the Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron and support the show, as well as vote on episode topics and get a special Discord role, I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. The first segment on guest episodes is Buff Debuff. Buff Debuff is a short game we play where the listeners provide one sentence or one word topics, and I don't really do any research on them. I just say what's on the top of my mind about them, and I say whether I think they're buffed or trending up or doing good or debuffed, which is like things that I think are trending in the wrong direction. So with that, let's get started. First topic of today is VR Game Dev. I'm going to say VR game dev is slightly debuffed um, just because I always think about indie game dev as doing it for money. I totally understand people who do it just as a hobby or for fun, uh, but I've been doing it as a business for so long that I, I can't like think about it in a different way. And when I think about VR game dev, I think there's lots of really, really cool um, game design ways you can take it and cool things that are still yet to be discovered about making games for VR. So like that part of my game dev heart loves that. But the business side of me says, well, it's it's extremely risky. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I just don't think VR has been picked up by the masses uh, where it really makes sense. Like, think about it this way. Do you know anyone in your life who plays VR games for at least one hour a day? I don't think there are many people that know that person who aren't, like, super into VR. Maybe you are that person, and you're like, I know lots of people. Well, if we're in, like, a general audience, I mean, there's just not people playing a lot of VR games, like, an hour every day. But I know plenty of people who play regular PC games for more than one hour every single day. And so the opportunity for us as game devs, I think, is a lot better uh, just making traditional PC games. So for that reason, uh, although it hurts me a little to say, I think VR game dev is slightly debuffed. The next topic is not hiring artists as a non-artist developer. Uh, I think this means like, should you make games if you don't have the art skills. I wouldn't let not having art skills be a block to you. Like, I wouldn't say don't make games if you can't do art, right? There are plenty of ways to get around having a bad art skill. I mean, look at myself. Uh, when I first started, my art was horrible, and arguably it's not that good <laughs> these days either, but it has been getting better. I, I'll defend myself a little bit. Yeah, I, I've always kind of danced around the art uh, with my game designs or found something that I could make something look uh, just okay because I didn't have the money to hire an artist. So I wouldn't let it be a block to you. But again, if we're thinking about the business side of things, um, a lot of people are just going to straight up judge your game based on the art. So if you're doing it for money, 
uh, you got to make a good impression with the art. It doesn't have to be like perfect. Uh, I think we've talked about like the different kinds of games that are successful and there are some that focus entirely on being beautiful art. If you're going for that, then obviously you have to have someone with good art skill doing it, whether that's yourself or somebody you're paying. You can go for like a really fun core game loop with just okay art. And when I say just okay, I mean it can't obviously be bad, right? It can't be someone sees it on Steam and says, oh, this is a bad game. And you kind of have to be honest with yourself. If I'm being like painfully honest with myself about Bounce Shot, uh, my game on Steam, is it the most beautiful art and like attractive art that you've ever seen? No, I don't think it is. And I think I probably lost a lot of sales and people who never tried the game out uh, because they looked at the game and they knew it was an amateur artist doing it, which is too bad because I, you know, obviously I think the game design and the gameplay is the most fun part of that and they never got to it. So yeah, not hiring an artist as a non-artist dev, I'm going to say is also slightly debuffed. Next we have game design and development books. I almost don't even feel qualified to give you my opinion on this because uh, I just like don't read books. <laughs> like that sounds bad. I okay. I do read books, but like I I consult books. You know what I mean? Like if I have to have some specific information that I cannot Google, or like I trust the book source more often or something. Yeah, it's it's a very special situation that I even look in books. And honestly, for me, learning game design and development because it's such a visual thing, you're better off going to YouTube. I really believe that and take that with a grain of salt because obviously it has my own personal biases. So I will say game design and development books are slightly debuffed and <laughs> I understand the irony of the fact that my podcast is themed after a game design and development book, a, a fictional one, but maybe not always fictional. Maybe one day I'll make one uh, and I will be the ultimate hypocrite then. But for now, just go to YouTube. Okay, next topic. Heads down focus on a single project with Game Jam Breaks. I, I assume this person means like this is how they make games. This is their method, right? They focus on a single big project and then they break it up with Game Jams. This is actually how I operated when I was doing indie dev full time. I think this method is buffed. The reason I think it's buffed is because you will get to that point in the single project where you're tired of working on it. It happens with every single project that I've ever worked on. And sometimes you need like a palate cleanser, right? So that's a perfect opportunity to go do a game jam and just you're still getting better at your skill. You're still honing your craft, but you are working on something new. You're exploring some new ideas, maybe some new techniques. Uh, just it feels like a palate cleanser. And the second good thing about that is that when you're done with the game jam, you basically have a functional prototype that could become your next big project and you probably have some feedback for it so you know if it's worth investing time into. There's nothing worse than investing all of your time into a big project um, and just finding out that it's no good by the end. And one of the best ways to avoid that is to get feedback early. And with a game jam, you're basically making a prototype and getting feedback on it. So yeah, it also provides you like a, I don't know, a pipeline of functional game ideas that actually have a little bit of feedback. So this practice of doing one big single project and mixing in some game jam breaks, I think is buffed. The next topic is following trends in the market. This kind of depends on why you make games. 
Um, if you're making games for money, you have to do this to some extent, unless you're going with like the niche strategy of like really trying to come up with something innovative and on its own. If you're making games because you love making games and you're just like an indie hobbyist dev, you know, you can follow the trends in the market if they excite you, but you don't have to feel like you're confined to them. A lot of people want to make games... Uh, as a hobbyist dev or for fun because they feel like that idea doesn't exist yet, right? It's like trapped in their head and they want it out there. And so for them, that's probably debuffed. But I would say if you're in the indie game dev business, um, following to trends to some extent is slightly buffed. The next topic is putting pictures of yourself, pets, friends, and family in your games. I think this is super buffed. Um, with one caveat, you probably should get permission from other people <laughs> to put them in a game. Uh, you definitely have to get permission for other people to put them in your games. But yeah, I used to always put, I and I say used to, like I still don't now. I put all sorts of stuff from my personal life in my games. I think it's something that every game dev should do, right? Like your ideas and creativity are somewhat influenced by your life experience, and yeah, the people around you and the pets around you and stuff are some of the most important parts of your life experience. So of course, they're going to make it into your creative works. So yeah, I would say this is um, straight up buffed. Next, we have visual scripting until you feel confident about programming. I'm going to actually split this up, or I'm just going to say visual scripting on the whole is buffed. I think people look at it like visual scripting is like somehow lower tier than coding. Like they, I don't know, they, they kind of talk down on visual scripting. And sometimes I see people come into game dev and see visual scripting as like beginner programming or something like that when it's, it couldn't be any further from the truth. It's more about how do you interact with your tools better, right? Are you like a visual diagrams person or would you rather just see it in code? And keep in mind that you don't have to be either or. For me personally, with shaders, I am already bad at programming and shaders is really hard. And on top of that, it's like a very visual medium. Like coding a shader is like you know, you're mixing one part technology, one part magic, and one part art. And I'm not really good at any of those parts. <laughs> so for me, doing those in a node-based visual system uh, like it is in Unity, like Unity Shader Graph, um, that's how I make all my shaders with a visual scripting system, basically. Because, yeah, I'm just not good at programming them. So I don't think you should see it as an either-or. I think you should just use the best tools that are right for you. And in some situations, that might be a visual system. In some situations, that might be a good old code-based system. And you might do like half and half or all for one or the other. But yeah, for me to just pick one and say it's buffed or debuffed, uh, it almost doesn't feel right. I'll just say that visual scripting is buffed. And our last topic for today is AI content for dialogue. I think this is going to be like one of the cutting edge things of AI uh, in game dev. Like I'm pretty sure everyone right now is pretty aware of AI. Maybe you've messed with ChatGPT or Midjourney or made some AI images. But I can tell you now 
that as a game dev, AI has become just part of the tool set. It's just another tool that I use pretty much every time I do game dev because it's just too powerful. And one of the places where I think this is going to be really cutting edge and extremely powerful is for dialogue and role play and like story interaction in your games. Sooner or later, the neural networks, which are like the brains, this is my very poor understanding of AI, but the brains are going to be able to be put into video games. Does that make sense? And once the brain can go in the video game, um, I don't know if it'll go in first for like, you know, actually controlling characters, but I bet one of the very first places it goes is controlling the dialogue of characters because essentially what you want is just like a chat bot that generates responses on the fly that have to do with like what's going on in the game or how your character interacted with them and yeah imagine a rpg uh like skyrim or something where all of the npcs don't just have like a giant text tree that determines what they say but they have the neural network brain that uh, just comes up with a response based on what you said to it. That to me is so incredible and just mind-blowing and really has me feeling like, wow, we live in the future. And yeah, obviously it's not all good. There are some bad things that come with uh, disruptive technology like this. But I think on the whole, uh, this idea of AI content for dialogues is super buffed. I'm super excited to see what that actually looks like in games. And people have constantly been asking me about my opinion on AI. And, you know, it's a bit of a trap, if I'm being honest, to, like, respond to that on Twitter or something. Because I I understand it's, like, a contentious issue. So what I'm actually going to do, I'm going to do an episode on AI tools for game devs. If you want my, like, quick opinion... I think AI tools are buffed. They definitely come with some downsides. I don't think they're going to replace uh, everyone, but uh, I do feel like everyone who wants to be a game dev should know how to use them. So yeah, look forward to that future episode, but for right now, that that is my take. And that's going to do it for today's buff debuff segment. I hope you liked it. I really miss doing this, um... Yeah, I just missed doing Buff Debuff. It's been a minute since we've done a bonus episode, and it's been a minute since we've played Buff Debuff, so I I really liked it. Uh, I think I've caught up on all the topics as well, too, so if you want to hear your topic read on the next episode of Buff Debuff, all you got to do is go over to the community Discord and post uh, your idea in the Buff Debuff channel. I'll leave a link for the open Discord in the show notes. With that out of the way, we're going to move on to the second segment of the show. The second segment of bonus episodes is always a keynote speech or thought from a special guest. Today we actually have a repeat guest. We're welcoming back Prescott Lox-Lawani, who is one of our own at the Game Dev Field Guide. You've probably seen them. They go by Locks the Thief or sometimes just Locks on uh, our Discord. And yeah, I think Prescott has some super exciting news uh, for us. So with that, would you please welcome Prescott Locks Lawani. Hey, everybody. 
It is I, Prescott Lakslawani, owner of Padlocks Technologies and game director of Locks the Thief. Locks the Thief is a stealth action adventure game with an interesting story. Steal for the greater good, and yourself of course. It is my first game ever, and I'm planning to release on February 9th, 2023. If this episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is released before then, please wishlist the game. If after, please buy the game. I think it's pretty ambitious for a first game, and it isn't going to cost much at all. Well worth the price. I'm not here to talk about Locks of Thief, though. I just wanted to inform some of you about this topic. It is something many people don't know about, but it is very important. I am a black game developer, and that is a very difficult position to be in. I'm here to tell you about why that is and what we can do to make life better for people like me in the gaming industry. Let's start at the beginning. In 1970, Jerry Lawson, a black engineer, was hired by Fairchild Semiconductor in San Francisco. He built a coin-operated arcade game called Demolition Derby in his garage. By the mid-1970s, he was hired to their chief engineer and marketer position. He eventually led the design of the Channel F console, which had swappable cartridges. Lawson and Channel F gave game players a collection of games called a library for the first time ever. It was originally a one-game system, but because of Lawson and Channel F, you can now switch in your games through these cartridges. Channel F came up with this idea first, but the console wasn't commercially successful. The Atari 2600 started using cartridges shortly after and was successful. Jonah F. was just about forgotten, as was Lawson, who was never remembered. Lawson wasn't given credit for inventing game cartridges until after his death. I didn't even know about him until I saw an episode on a show called High Score that brought him up as a part of one of their episodes. It wasn't the first time a black person didn't get credit for a creation, and it wasn't the last either. I took it personally because in 2019, I got a job as a game design teacher. The schools I've taught in were focused on underrepresented children, which were mostly black and Latinx. So I researched what it was like for people in that position. I didn't have to look far because I am a black game developer. I started college in 2004. It was to get a bachelor's degree in art and technology with a focus on game design and development. In 2005, I volunteered as a beta tester at many different game companies. I would play a bunch of games, write down bugs in my experience, and then we would have group discussions after the testing session was over. I got a lot of praise for my work on many occasions. I would then try to apply for an actual job, but was never considered. This happened well past the time I graduated. I got one interview and was given the big no. This situation made me feel less hopeful for a video game career. I kept volunteering and testing and applying, but never got another interview. For 11 years, I wasn't even considered. I eventually quit it altogether and got into hip-hop music. It was fun, but it didn't pay my bills. 2015, I got into a relationship. About two years in, I showed my girlfriend a small game I made for us using RPG Maker. She told me I should be doing this for a living. It reignited my passion for video game creation. Two years after that, I went to a community college to sharpen my skills. But instead of having to go through school again, by sheer luck, the head teacher of the game department gave me a job as a teacher at the college itself. I've been teaching game design and development for almost four years now. 
I'm glad I get to do this now, but sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I was given more consideration when I was applying for game jobs in 2007. Maybe I'd be working in AAA, getting a good paycheck and supporting my family just a little bit more. I'm not saying because I'm black I didn't get those jobs. I'm saying that it was really deflating that I would do so well for so long and not get a job until 11 years after graduating from college. And technically, it's not even in the industry, and it is just part-time. Since becoming a teacher, I get to do so much more research on the video game industry. One of the things I learned was is that less than 5% of game developers in the whole world are black. This is shocking. 70% of game players are black, but only 5% are making the games? Why is this? Well, for one thing, the industry has not been very approachable. If you are black, a woman, or LGBTQ, chances are you would be discriminated against. There were cases of harassment, isms, and phobias in the industry. Some companies have even lied about their stance on topics such as Black Lives Matter, stating they would do more to diversify the industry without actually doing much. There is even talk in my community that these companies would attempt to hire one or two black people with higher difficulties to the process than their white counterparts. And if that person fails, the company creates a well-we-tried philosophy. So maybe you don't believe that there are barricades to being a black game developer, or even in the industry itself. But let me ask you this. 70% of game players are black, but why aren't there that many black esports teams? Maybe in the future. Oh, and just because I'm supporting black people doesn't mean I want white people to fail. People tend to mix that up a lot. Someone who supports black people just wants us to have equal opportunities where the person best qualified for the job gets the job. I'm going to go ahead and name a few organizations that I really appreciate in the last four years. You'll notice they support underrepresented individuals, but that doesn't mean they block off others. All are welcome and our goal to be considered equals instead of lessers. I'm proud of companies like Dallas College and Street Code Academy. They go out of their way to support Black and Latinx developers, designers, and programmers. Dallas College is a community college. That's where I went in 2019 where I got hired as a teacher. We teach underrepresented groups of high school and college level students. We give them an associate's degree in game design, art, or programming. We give them the skills in two years instead of the hefty four-year universities that make you take courses that aren't really related to your degree. Our gaming department here definitely doesn't discriminate as it has already hired a wide variety of people to teach things like VFX, rigging and animation, 2D art, 3D art, and programming to name a few. It doesn't matter your color. If you got the skill, you're given the chance. And as a student, if you got the skill and you make your connections, do extracurricular like the after hours game jams, you get the chance. Oh, and it's really affordable. It is one of the top gaming schools in Dallas too. Street Code Academy was a volunteer job I got last year, 2022, if you're listening to this in the future. They were amazing. They took their approach even further, targeting teaching underrepresented kids around 5 years to 12 years in the city of Palo Alto. I taught virtually there. Their whole goal is to teach kids early the benefits of programming, design, and work. What some people might not know is that it is hard for a black person to find a hero in this world. Basically, if your mom and dad aren't hard workers, you are just about on your own. 
Shrikon made sure those that might not have guidance get what they require. I taught Roblox and Python there for half a year. It was fantastic. The kids were eager and the staff really cared. Black in Gaming, or BIG, is a community of black game developers. We support each other with news, jobs available, tips, learning, games, and resources, just to name a few. I love them and there's something to look up to as many of them have actually made it into the industry, making games like God of War, quite a few indies, and being on AAA teams. At times they have stories about discrimination and bad business decisions by the industry as well, to further prove my point. Decoy Games are two brothers who made the game Swim Sanity, which went on to sell 1.4 million copies the last time I looked at it. There are definitely people I look up to who have never faltered on their dreams. They succeeded so well that they are hiring people to make their next game, an unnamed project that they got under wraps. They were excellent workers and businessmen who knew exactly how to sell their work. Some people have a problem with companies that focus so hard on helping black people. What they don't understand is that so many companies go out of the way not to support us. We aren't building these communities because we want to, it's because we have no choice. We have to work that much harder to get things to go in our favor. That chain needs to be broken. I just wish we were all considered, no matter what color we are, as equally based on merit and even connections, not ethnicity. One last thing, whenever there that wonderful time comes and we are all equal, Please, oh please, let us black game developers make what we want. There's such a wide spectrum of what we should be allowed to create, but we're usually seen in black games or movies, for that instance, as terrible gangbangers or flawless heroes. I've already gone through talking to a few other black game developers who have said that Locks of Thieves seems bad for the community, but I think it should be more than just about the game, but the person behind it. My story... I am a solo black game developer who was left behind and given a below average education at a costly university. I pulled myself up on my own and learned a bunch of tricks and game dev skill that I didn't learn there. I've connected with diverse communities, influencers, streamers, major and minor devs, and I'm making my game all by myself, only getting help in areas I eventually knew I couldn't do. Locks of Thief is fictional. I am real. Let me express myself. It isn't as bad as discrimination and harassment, but forcing black people to make a certain type of archetype is another way of taking away our freedom. My game might have been more popular if I made him a soldier, warrior, or a hero, but I grew up on stealth games like Metal Gear, Thief, and Assassin's Creed, so that's what I want to make. These are creations. They're art. I've always hated that people think they can define a whole race of people based on what they see in the media. Locks of Thief is only entertainment, not a bibliography. I think that's all the time I have for now. Once again, please check out my first game ever, Locks of Thief. It has been called ambitious and very pretty for a solo indie's first game ever. So give it a chance and tell me what you think. You can find me on my Discord server, Padlocks Technologies, or you can go to our mailing list on padlockstechnologies.com. I'm also all over social media like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for things like Padlocks Technologies, Padlocks Tech, or locks the thief game. Thanks, Zachavelli, for having me on again. Let's all get together and start really working as a true community. A man can dream, can't he? And there you have it. A keynote on Prescott's experiences as a black game dev. 
The guest episodes have always been about bringing people who are experienced in things that I can't do episodes about, right? It's kind of the filling the gaps of my knowledge, which there are many. And obviously, Prescott sharing his experiences are things that I couldn't ever have commented about. In case you haven't figured it out by my voice, I am a big, goofy, uh, white guy. So yeah, I hope for some of you out there, this episode was really helpful for you. We've been kind of on like a inspiration kick uh, with these episodes lately, being this one and the last uh, main episode. And yeah, I think it's just important to hear stories of people actually like doing it and making games and completing games and launching games and getting different perspectives of that from around our community uh, because it is it is just so hard. It is a hard thing to do. And if you're going to be a part of this community or just the game dev community on the whole, you got to be there to support each other. Otherwise, uh, to be honest, I don't know if any games <laughs> any games would get made. So yeah, big thanks to Prescott for coming on um, and sharing his experience. Let us show our support uh, by wishlisting and buying the game Locks the Thief on Steam. By the time this episode comes out, for like 90% of you, it will be available to buy. So yeah, I'll leave you a convenient link in the show notes. And you can just go on Steam and search for Locks the Thief, and it'll come up. Make sure you leave a review, too. I've been, I've just been deep on the <laughs> Steam algorithm learning, and yeah, reviews are a much bigger thing. I mean, I knew they were big in the past, but they are an absolutely monumental thing uh, to determining your success on Steam. So yeah, if we could show our support by wishlisting, buying, and reviewing the game, that would be awesome. With that, I think I'm going to end the episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide.